0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. I'm your host, Jerry Wan. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode 55 with Isra Nasser. Today is July 3rd. Uh, Not a real significant date, day before 4th of July here in the States. But it actually means that we're now officially in the second half of 2020. And I think we can all breathe a sigh of relief. We got halfway through what arguably may be Uh, the toughest year collectively for so many of us um, in our generation. And so I ask you to take some time today or this weekend or whenever you're listening to this to take some time for yourself and to reflect on what we can do better, not only individually, but as a community, as a family, as a society, to make sure that we can remember 2020 years from now for a year, as challenging as it may have been, that we remember it for a time where we made the changes that we needed to make so that people were treated fairly and that we made the world a better place, not just for us, but for our children uh, who will come after us. So I want to thank you again for joining us. Um, Hope you're having a restful time. Hope you're staying safe out there. Whenever you may be listening to this, we wish you all the health and happiness in the world. Thanks again for joining us today. Enjoy this conversation I had with Isra. We talk about mental health, Talk about a whole lot of great, important, and relevant topics. Thanks again. And here now is my conversation with Ezra. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Asian Americans. This is your host Jerry Wan. And wherever you are, uh, whenever you may be listening to this, really hope that you're staying safe. Uh, Really hope that you're staying healthy. And when we say healthy, I know there's been a lot of focus, obviously in 2020, as it relates to COVID, on physical well-being and physical health. Well, we all know that that is one of many different parts of health that we should really be focused on at all times. Emotional health and mental health being things that we often sometimes neglect, uh, particularly if you're listening to this show, you're probably Asian American or identify as an Asian American. And um, many of us grew up in families and and still are in families where uh, mental health isn't something that is encouraged or sometimes even acknowledged as a thing that we should even be talking about. Um, and, And so I'm really, really excited uh, to have our guest today. Um, Isra Nasser is somebody who has such a passion about for talking about mental health. And so I thought it'd be a, a, an amazingly appropriate topic to discuss. Um, we are recording this right in the middle of June. Um, so we've been going through COVID for about three months. We're now mm-hmm. in about uh, week three after uh, the George Floyd murder and going through and seeing and, and processing and dealing with um, what do we do as a society, number one, what is our responsibility as individuals, but what is our responsibility going forward as a community to continue to talk about difficult topics and to talk about allyship and to stand up for other people, or even just to be able to check in on friends to see how they're doing it, but doing it in a, um, in a really meaningful and impactful way. So um, we're going to talk about all that. Um, but. Isra, w- welcome to the show.
1: Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today.
0: Welcome. I, it's um, You are now our fourth Canadian person on the show. You are okay. originally Pakistani-Canadian. And yes. uh, we, we've gotten some feedback and you're like, hey, you know, can I come on the show? It's Dear Asian Americans. And uh, we've actually had uh, two folks from Australia as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things that I learned is that there, although, although there are very unique differentiations uh, between the three countries, Mm -hmm. but there is a, a theme that sort of weaves itself through in any country that is obviously predominantly Western culture. Mm -hmm. And obviously whether it's Canada, United States or Australia, um, the people who rule it now weren't always there. And then, so there were similar themes through its origin stories of the countries themselves. And, -hmm. and and for us, just for the fact that we got here later than some of the other folks, um, we have similar experiences that make, that second part of the dash whether it's american canadian australian really yeah. a lot more universal than most of us think so mm-hmm. um you know i don't think we're going to change the name of the show but i am really excited <laughs> to hear uh what your experience was like so um sure. share with us uh what your what what the uh, the nasser family journey was in your parents coming over to canada and tell us a little bit about your family background
1: Sure. So you know, it's like a it's like a journey across the planet, essentially. So I'm originally Pakistani, um, but my parents grew up in the '70s in East Pakistan, which is now Bangladesh. So they speak a different language, um, and all of that stuff there. Um, so they, I guess, like were um, you know, uh, after the war, migrated to what is now Pakistan. And then from there, I went to Saudi Arabia, where I grew up. And then from Saudi Arabia, I moved to Toronto when I was 13. Um, And then I moved to New York two years ago. So the journey is quite long. um, And it's over like four different countries, three different cultures, um, and significant portions of time has been spent in each place. So my parents were in Saudi Arabia for, I don't know, like 25, 27 years almost, Yeah, and my dad got got there before he even got married. Um, So it's uh, that's kind of like in a nutshell. So it's always really hard to answer the question, "Where are you from?" or "What is home?" Right, because you always have to kind of explain it. um, Because uh, Pakistani people who grew up in the Middle East are a different brand of Pakistani versus the Pakistanis who grew up in Pakistan versus the. The Pakistanis who grew up in North America. There's like different branches of the diaspora. And so you always kind of have to explain it when people ask. Um, but right now, New York City is home. I've been in my apartment for almost three and a half months now, in the middle of everything, in Midtown, Flatiron. So, I mean, that's my journey. And um, yeah, but I mean, my significant portion of my life was in Toronto, in Canada. And instinctively that's what I want to say is my home because most of my formative years are there. My friends are there. Um, and you know, so that's, that's
0: what, what was that like for you? <laughs> I, I came to the States when I was eight. Um, mm-hmm. so though I have clear memories of Korea, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, most of my identity forming and most of my memories are here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you come at 13, you're, you're, you know, I mean, legally, you're not an adult, but you might as well be right. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're independent, you can do things, Mm -hmm. you are capable of making most of your own decisions. And, and then for you to come to a brand new country where um, Saudi Arabia, obviously not as uh, ethnically diverse from a population perspective as Toronto, Um, Mm -hmm. Toronto being one of the most uh, culturally diverse metropolitan areas in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. What was that like? And how did you um, how was that explained to you before you set foot in Toronto? And how did you experience it when you got here?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, now if I think back, this is a long time ago, but so I went to an international school. So the way Saudi society is, at least back then, um, Arabs went to Arab schools and non-Arabs went to English speaking schools. Um, And so in the school itself, uh, most international schools were connected to specific embassies. Um, So that you had the British Embassy School, you had the American Embassy School. So I went to the Bangladeshi Embassy School, which was uh, like a British system, right? So we did have a lot of non-Arab and non-Brown kids in school. It was predominantly Pakistani, Indian, and Bangladeshi, but we had like people who were from other countries as well. Um, So it wasn't that I wasn't accustomed to seeing people who were from a different background. And my my dad worked at the American embassy, so we had a lot of interaction with, uh, like, American diplomats um, and people who were living in Saudi Arabia because they worked at the embassy. Uh, So things like cultural things like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter, like all those things were very familiar. Uh, And I spoke English, which made the transition so much easier, right, when you go to a new place. Uh, But the lifestyle was really what is became different for me. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, you live very, very sheltered lives. You don't really go out much. Especially back then, like as a young child, I was not playing out in the streets or in the parks. It was a very, very controlled, sheltered, protected. Um, right. Just That's just the way the society was at, at that time. Um, so I think being out in the world was more of a shock for me, like being, like being at a park with no adult supervision, right. Walking to the mall, walking to school itself was like the biggest thing for me. It took me, it took me four or five months to adjust to walking to school. It was the, the the most difficult thing for me was that I had to walk to school um, and there were, it was cold I had never seen snow before <laughs> so it was definitely an adjustment but not from like a cultural perspective more from like a lifestyle perspective yeah
0: I mean that's got to be such a shock right because mm-hmm. your your home culture um, Pakistani
1: mm-hmm.
0: your surrounding culture up to year 13 but your parents have been there for double that. So mm-hmm. they're in Saudi Arabia aware of the culture yet mm-hmm. from what you've shared. And from what I understand of the Saudi culture, there's two separate rules almost and two separate societies that yeah. um, as with a lot of middle Eastern countries, right. That are yeah. um, let's just say conservative for the locals mm-hmm. and not as conservative for, for foreigners. Um, and then to come to Canada and Toronto, which um you know, as as close to freedom as as Western society can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, in growing up in Saudi Arabia until you were thirteen in middle school, what were some of mm-hmm. the expectations that you felt were bestowed upon you as a Pakistani daughter living in an, an interesting society where uh, what you saw wasn't. I guess what I'm trying to say is it, the, the grand society and culture of Saudi Arabia was not what you were living day to day because you went to a different school. You, yeah, you know, what what was that like? And what did you think you wanted to be before you knew that you were moving to Canada?
1: So I mean, just right off the bat, I remember the transition from grade seven to grade eight was very difficult because that's when you started wearing the the black. The, the abaya the cloak that you often see saudi woman wearing right yeah. so now i suddenly had to wear that so i remember that being like a thing um i mean we didn't have to wear it inside the school but that you had to wear it now um when you were outside school when you were in public places when you were at the mall or a restaurant or starbucks with your family um so that was like and i know if i had stayed there longer that would have been something i would have had to have done and um it's not comfortable. It's very warm for me. Right. So that's not something I was like super thrilled by. Um, But when it comes to expectations uh, and if you're specifically talking about like academic expectations um, for sure, as a Pakistani girl, um, academics was the number one priority in Saudi Arabia, even in Toronto. Right. Like that was the one thing that you absolutely had to commit yourself to. Uh, But I wanted to be a marine biologist. So I think just naturally, and that's not something my parents instilled in me. I'm, I'm sure they would have been happier if I was like, I want to be a doctor, right? Um, but they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't dissuade me from pursuing that. I actually ended up studying environmental studies in undergrad as well. Um, and it's really in undergrad when the expectation around this Asian female identity was put on the table not before that until then, even when I was in high school, I was applying to universities. It was like, okay, you're going to pursue this. That's fine. But then second year hit and now it came to like finding like really your, your specialty. This is obviously in Toronto. That's when it was like the first time my mom said, how are you going to have a family if you're a marine biologist? Mm -hmm. Right? So then the priority really as this Pakistani girl was, make sure you pick a career that will allow you to be like, like a half present mom or, you know, like doesn't have the kind of hours that being a scientist requires. (laughs) Right. Uh, And that's really, and I was already minoring in psych at that time because I was interested in uh, like human behavior and environmental studies, like kind of merging the two. Uh, And I wanted to kind of go into conservation sciences, Mm. but yeah. And then, you know, I, I, considered it I thought about I just remember that conversation so distinctly with my mom right and the second thing she said and I'm not trying to blast my mom she's great like I don't have any complaints about the way I was raised but you know they are a product of their environment Mm -hmm. the second thing she said is there's not a lot of brown guys in marine biology how are you going to meet your husband (laughs) right so these are the things that were top of her mind when I was 21 22 years old uh but before that in Saudi Arabia they just let me kind of think about whatever I wanted to do.
0: Um, yeah. I find it fascinating because I, 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 to to have that conversation with you when you're already exposed to so many things and Mm -hmm. already having gone to college, Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways it's a blessing because we all have plenty of friends who, whose college decisions are almost baked into what are you going to do and how do you best self best set yourself up for the next graduate school or the next, you know, almost having like, you know, some sort of a predestination path already, you know, prescribed for you. Um, But I find that fascinating because I think especially, unfortunately, for our our sisters and and our women from our cultures, Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, go to school because you need that credibility or that respectability. But like, don't go for the maximum, like pick something that will allow you to then, you know, throttle down into a family or a mom role. Um, Yeah. I, I, 100% see it. Um, you know, my wife is a pharmacist and that was mm-hmm. one of the other, um, really great careers for women that mm-hmm. a lot of Asian, Asian parents, yeah. um, still still lighter their kids about, like, yeah. if you're a parent listening to this, stop, <laughs> um, you know, because they're like, Oh, the hours are limited and blah, blah, blah. And like, but that's a really, uh, and it, it works for some, but I think mm-hmm. it's fundamentally, uh, a wrong rubric to decide what you should do with your life Um, sort of reverse engineering. Well, if I want to be a mom and be home, um, that's, yeah. I mean, so every, every time we have conversations about that, I think I get a little bit, not, not upset, but I think, I I hope that we, as we raise our own kids and influence Mm -hmm. our, our our friends and our peers to uh, Mm -hmm. think beyond the ways that we were all brought up individually and collectively, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm stop telling your kids the same crap that we wish we weren't told. Because Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I mean, there's if you really think about it, there's not too many female South Asian marine biologists out there, right? Uh, there's f- there's a few, there's a handful that are really, really top. Like they're doing a lot of, like a great job. So, I mean, I, in a different world, like I could have been one of those people. Right. right, like, and so this this narrative is like very limiting. It's it's definitely asking you to make your dreams a little smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Just just a little bit, right? And you get that gradient in, in in Asian parents in different ways. Like, you have the parents who are just like no dreams, and then they're they're the they're the ones who are like okay, like dream, but like to here only, right? Right, just just over here, so you can get a husband, have a kid, and like get a house in the suburbs. Yeah. Right now, you've achieved in that sphere. Sure. Um, so I think sometimes like our cultural expectations definitely limit us in in what we can achieve or what we even think that we can do. Right. Right. What what can we even be a part of?
0: I think yeah. it's you know, I, I often hear the joke like you can go to over you school you want as long as it's a law school. You're know, like, wait <laughs> a minute. That's actually not that, that's yeah. false choice, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. The paradigm is is different. And and you and I were talking, you know, before we started recording just about, you know, when our parents Um, and and dozens of countries that represent Asia and and Mm -hmm. different uh, decades and wars and uh, Mm -hmm. social conditions from which our parents all come from, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a lot of the things that they want for us is really what worked for them in the situation that they grew up Mm -hmm. in. So Mm -hmm. I know it's easy for us to poop on our parents Mm -hmm. now and say like, you know, we're living in America now and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, have a little bit of empathy and let's think about like, you know, I think about like, okay, my, my parents were, you know, children of post-war Korean war trying to grow up in poverty and um, like what worked. Yeah. Going to medical school worked. So do that. And we now one generation removed, not even half a generation removed because I was born in Korea. Like Mm -hmm. when you have the audacity to pursue passion or like meaning or, um, what you do for a living now, which is mental health. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these are things that our parents' generation would have put under the luxury bucket of those are things way, way, way high up on the hierarchy of needs that mm-hmm. we are people, people like us don't get to pursue because mm-hmm. we're busy trying to survive. And, and so we still see that, you know, um, amongst our peers, um, Especially for some of our friends who are newer immigrants or international student types, they yeah. still prescribe to that. Um, I don't have the luxury to talk about certain things. Um, yeah. And then so very curious what you say you were minoring in psychology already. So it wasn't that big of yeah. a shift. But no. what made you interested in psychology in the first place to want to pick it up as an interest topic as a minor?
1: Sure. So, I mean, originally it was human behavior, right? So I was kind of focused more on social psychology and behavior change in the realm of environmental behaviors and policy and stuff like that and so in order to do that you have to take the psych 101 courses you have to take like the baseline clinical courses uh, and so it kind of piqued my interest um, I became a little more interested in clinical courses so even though I was pursuing environmental studies before the conversation with my mom I was starting to take clinical courses um, and then you know I just through chance visited uh, a mental health ward in Pakistan on one of my trips back home. And I mean, it's changed a little right now, but not too much. This is like almost 15, 20 years ago, maybe. I don't even know. 15 years ago. Um, And it was like terrible. It was absolutely terrible. It was metal beds and people were just kind of, you know, restrained and tied up and it was just awful. And so I just became more interested in mental health within our communities. Right. And I, and I was there and I was talking to my mom about it. She was there with me and, um, you know, it just sparked a conversation around mental health. And then I started taking more and more courses. And then as I progressed in my undergrad, I moved the psych to a major. So then I got like a double major, but when it came to applying to grad schools, that's really when I made the decision to pursue clinical psychology as opposed to conservation sciences. Uh, I'm still interested in conservation science. I I read books about it and watch documentaries, but my life professionally took that route. Um, And I became really interested in having more conversations within our family unit, within our community about mental health, uh, because I realized there was such a huge shift, just even in the way my parents spoke about mental illness from like 10 years ago to now right and you just have one person in the family who pursued it right and opened conversations um and maybe even got into some heated debates when when arguments around like oh well you know mental illness is just a product of a lack of faith if we had more faith we wouldn't have this problem right so those conversations have changed over time because you have somebody who is pursuing it and passionate about it from the inside Mm -hmm. um and when we, when we immigrated, you know, they have immigration counselors and all of those things. One of the things we noticed is that the social workers were always non-Pakistani, non-Indian mm-hmm. people. And I remember that coming up once in a conversation with my mom as well. And so I just realized that if we had more people who look like us on, on the inside, we can start affecting change a little more. So it just evolved over time. This is not something I set out to do as a child. I wasn't like particularly, even in high school, I wasn't particularly moved by mental health and the challenges, but that's something that as I became more aware of my identity and my role and my culture and I learned more about it, uh, it became more salient. I think
0: that's the story of all of us though, right? Because, you know, I I tell Asian American stories now and I that's like not even on the back pages of the menu of like my parents you know in their wildest dreams right like yeah yeah but it's it's the context I think which really matters because Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we've we've come to where we are in our lives doing what we do because of these experiences where Mm -hmm. mental health is absolutely the most important thing to talk about but it's not a matter of having more people in the patient chairs, you got to have somebody on the listening end who knows what the hell we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let, let's take the very, very stereotypical, you know, image of what you hear when you hear the word psychologist or, you know, psychiatrist or whatever in the, in the American context, it's a six year old white dude with a notepad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Santa Claus yeah. looking dude, like just, yeah. you know, tell me about your child. And you're like, you don't know me and not mm-hmm. me personally. You don't know what I've been through and you don't know mm-hmm. what my parents go through. So um, mm-hmm. part of why I started this was just keep continuing to hear conversations, even with people who look like me and you in the guest chair, but the mm-hmm. host just didn't even know, like, why, why, why do your parents do that? And like, why is it a thing? And, yeah, and having enough conversations with friends where it's like, dude, when we talk, it's comfortable because we don't have to explain the first 40%. We yeah. don't have to explain the context. And and, yeah. and that's why I think, you know, people like you who've chosen the path of mental health and, and to advocate for it, to continue to encourage people to talk about it and to create spaces, I think it's absolutely mm-hmm. important. I mean, look right now, the, the most important conversation that we want our peers to have with our parents is about Black Lives Matter. That is yeah. an extremely delicate and difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Or non-Asian or non-immigrant friends might be like, why is it so hard, right? Just go talk to your parents or human beings. Like, You have no idea.
1: No. You
0: have no yeah. idea what it is to grow up through war in an extremely homogeneous society, as many mm-hmm. Asian countries are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And anybody who doesn't look like you is automatically demonized if they're darker skinned yeah. and worshipped if they're lighter skinned. So to put that in the American context, it's really hard for I think a lot of parents to change the paradigm of how they think about that. Um, and and so I, I am just so fascinated by what you do and then the path that you've taken. Um, Cause you are like quad quadricultural, you yeah. know, if, if that's, that's, I think that's technically the right way to say it. Yeah. Um, and, and you've worked um, in mental health positions, both in New York and back in Ontario and in where Toronto mm-hmm. is um, yeah. during the past, you know, let's give her, say 10 years or so, right. Through your education and your part of your career. Yeah. Um, and you just mentioned your own family story of some of the, the tone and, and the conversations that have changed yeah. um, specifically within your community. What has changed and what do you think is driving that change for us to be more open to talking about this kind of stuff?
1: What's changed is that people are actually talking about it. And I mean, I'll speak largely to Toronto because that's where the bulk of my work was. Um, You know, and I, so I, I worked in this area, this town, I guess, called Brampton, which is right outside Toronto. So it's kind of like Long Island from Manhattan. That would be the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And the community that I worked in was predominantly Indian. Um, and Brampton is sometimes affectionately called Browntown. There's so many Indian people there. And the organization that I worked for was specifically seeking South Asian descent counselors and therapists because they wanted to provide this culturally competent service. But the thing is, you were seeing like a, like a need for it. People were coming out to ask for it. People were ending up in hospitals because of it. Right. And so you see like just like the, com- the community conversation changing. Um, and because I think, you know, when our parents came here like 30 years ago, like the first group of recent immigrants, if you will, a lot of them are just surviving, right? So you're not thinking about these things. So when you're in survival mode, you're not thinking about how you feel if you can't like eat, right? Uh, or if you don't understand anything, you don't know what's going on in this new country. You've fled violence and poverty. Um, and you know, the folks before that were living in a different society, like a segregated society, right? right. Um, so I think what's happening now is because so many, so many of us are no longer in survival mode, the trends are shifting, right? Uh, and parents are also seeing the impact of mental illness in their children. And it's hard to deny that when it becomes really bad. When your kid ends up at the hospital because they tried to attempt suicide, you can't deny it anymore right? And that's what we were seeing. We were seeing an increase in the rise, like an increase in the number of people who were accessing emergency services for mental health reasons wow. in that area. And so the, the community responded. And then you saw, you know, community leaders kind of come up and, and create programs and services and run ad campaigns in different languages um, to really increase that accessibility. Um, So that's, I think that's what's changing is it's hard to deny the impact anymore. I think at some point you could deny it, but now it's, it's, it's much more difficult in this like very connected society that we live in. I think younger generation is very, very open to talking about it. Right. So that makes me very hopeful is that people in my generation, people in in like younger than me, a little older than me are very open about it. They are open to accessing services. um, And you see this across. Like, I would say, like, across religions in Asian communities, you see it across SES, that younger people are more open to talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's changing, changing it for the parents, right? So, like, if I'm forcing these conversations in my home, I know other people are also doing it. And so it's kind of shifting the tide. There is a ton of work to be done still right? Even in the communities, even in the young communities, if we are open about it, maybe we're just open about anxiety and depression and we're not open about, I don't know, bipolar disorder and we're not open Mm -hmm. about suicide, right? Or we're not open about addiction. So even within that, you see some hierarchy and you still see a little bit of stigma and shame, Um, you know, and Asian cultures are so fixated on honor, right? And anything that can impact the honor of the family suddenly becomes a thing you don't want to talk about. So.
0: It's, it's, I hate the H word. Um, I, yeah. I think it's to, to use a really, really terrible analogy. It, it, it's been weaponized to really make people feel whatever you want them to feel. Right. Absolutely. Um, when you, when parents say, If you go to X school, therefore, I am proud of you. Then Mm -hmm. what people hear is, if not med school, then does the pride exist still? You know, um, yeah. I, you know, it's honor is, I think, when it's tied to a thing, whether it is education or job title or who you marry or blah, Mm -hmm. blah, Mm blah. What happens in the reverse or in the absence of right? What, 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 What can we do? Um, and this just for me, it, it goes back to our, our most common denominator, which is just, God damn it, we're all humans, and why can't we just yeah. treat each other with the humanity and and just love and respect and just be happy for each other? And I completely understand, right? Our parents come from the perspective of we grew up in instable, unstable times, in crazy mm-hmm. places. And, and from wherever we came, um, education equals money equals status equals comfort. So they want us to get to that point of comfort as fast as we can. So I I understand where it comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think as much as many people in the millennial and younger generation are starting to understand more empathetically about where our parents are coming from. um, Mm -hmm. Our parents are generally uh, not all starting to shift, as you just mentioned, that they are starting to see some things our way and finally realize like, hey, you know, um, because there's two shifts here. There's the cultural shift of wrong country or different country. And the time shift of wrong decade and wrong circumstances. And and, and so then the conversation becomes for people. And and yeah, you know, what you just mentioned, like, as parents experience it, they develop the need to talk about it. But then the ultimate goal is how how do we get more parents or how do we get more community members to develop that empathy muscle to start to be open minded to hearing about it? before it happens to you because well duh when it happens to you it has to you be talked about it. you yeah. can't deny it yeah. but you know whether it is um and then you brought up religion and religion regardless of any asian culture is what really drives a lot of the cultural norms mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know we're, we're in june it's pride month that's still a big thing in our culture and so yeah. big and, and so uh Sometimes conservative and, and still stuck in its old ways that parents would rather choose to not see their kids or, you know, um, disown or, or more terrible things rather than to accept their children, their own yeah. children for who they are. Um, but even at least then, if your child shares with you that their identity is what it is, then that develops a little bit of healing to say, I love you regardless of who you are. But for parents who don't go through that, parents who don't have, you know, um, and I'm not saying that it's only the parents for whom their children don't have um, their discussions or I guess any mental health issues or, you know, or, or non-binary or, or non, you know, straight gender definition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The majority of them are people who refuse to talk to their parents about it in the first place because yeah. they know their parents are going to crap yeah. on it. And not be yeah. open minded. So, from from your from where you sit, what, what are what, what is your perspective on what we can do, and, and where's the hope lie in the scale of things? On how do we build empathy across generations to make sure that we just <laughs> understand before it happens to us?
1: That is such a big question. Um, but I will say what you said about mm-hmm. honor, like, really resonated with me. I, I I also don't really like that concept because it like. Essentially assigns value to you as a person based on the choices that you make, and even when you're talking about gender identity, um, why do why do so many Asian parents not like that? Because it's what will the community say? Right? I'm going to be dishonored. I mean, in Pakistan, honor-based violence is still a thing that happens. Like women die. So many women die every year because of it. It's weaponized just to control. Um, my AirPod just fell. <laughs> um, I think so. And this is just my perspective. Right. And and it's open to everyone's interpretation of how they're going to take this. Um, And I'm not going to say anything super scandalous. But if we are to bridge the gap between generations and communities, uh, what we really I mean, the only tool we have is our conversations. Those are the only places Mm -hmm. where we can dispel the myth. Dispel the myths and talk about the things that you know are confusing or the things that are unknowns, or or even come to a place of common understanding where you can say, "I understand that you believe X because of your religious background, and you have to understand that I am X because of some like my my own background." Right? Uh, one of the most eye opening things I said to my dad once, and this was not in the context of an argument; it was just a conversation. Was that, you know, I said that my culture and your culture are different. We don't have the same culture. So he was talking about like something, some, I forget what specifically, but what he said was like, we don't do this in our culture, right? And I said, my culture and your culture is different because your culture is a culture you left with in the seventies, right? That's not the world I grew up in. And frankly, that's not even the environment of our home even the home that you've built does not reflect the culture that you're talking about. Cause it just, it's impossible to do that. Right. And I think, I think that the only way you can actually bridge these gaps is to have these kind of conversations uh and i understand that you can't always be the person who has the conversation with your parents right like right. because some people's physical safety is threatened when right. it comes to gender identity um or sometimes even who you want to marry right like that can end very badly for some people unfortunately um so What I have always found helpful, even in like with talking to other aunties and stuff in my community, and that's just like a common word used for an older woman who's your mom's (laughs) friend, (laughs) is, you know, using media is really helpful. Like movies, like now there are Bollywood movies that are made about, you know, gay couples in in a very normalizing way. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some Pakistani movies about interracial marriage, right? Things like that, like using media to, to just kind of put this in the home, to use that as a, as a medium. Um, and I think with mental illness is really always coming back to the one point that this is a health issue. This is not an honor issue. This is not a choice issue. Uh, and the same way you take your insulin for diabetes, because brown women have, like almost everybody has diabetes. The same way you take your insulin is the same way that you need to treat something like this. Um but also you have to understand that some people are never going to change their minds. And that's just a reality, right? So you the, have uh, to change most of the minds. You, you, you're not going to change everybody. Um, and, you know, doing stuff like this, uh, you know, if I ever see like a, like a interesting video or if, if I hear like a cool conversation about mental health, mental illness, like I will send it to my friends for them to share with their parents, or I will send it to my own parents. Um, it's like a soft attack. You can't just, <laughs> you can't just, you know, I charge. Agree. Yeah.
0: Cause it's, it's something that we weren't necessarily exposed to at an early age and no. you know, um, I, I think I'm not alone in saying like oh like therapists like that's white people stuff right like we' never even saw yeah. that as as something that was yeah. uh yeah. encouraged or even uh that wasn't even reality for us right like um Mm-mm. and and of course there's there's the risk of um over in external things and relying on it as crutches and, and there's obviously mm-hmm. a lot of um, predatory things things out there that take advantage of people, um, mm-hmm. when they need actual help. But mm-hmm. I, I think the, the chapter one is for, um, I was going to say young people, but age is not a factor in this mm-hmm. for let people to know that it's okay to feel whatever the hell it is that you're feeling, because I guarantee you're not alone, but yeah. in a world and not just in the not just in the home, um, uh, but in our, in our cultures and, and as diverse or as melting pot ish as toronto is Mm -hmm. as manhattan is where you are as la is where i am we're pretty still generally insular and divided across our immediate social circles for the most part and therefore some of the um social construct and expectations are uh you know they're not as radical as we'd like to think they are or or as open-minded um Mm -hmm. So I, I think step one is just to let people know, like, you're not alone. And there mm-hmm. should be absolutely no shame. Mm-hmm. And there is a need for you to just talk to people about it. Yeah. And there's really I, – I, I think it's, you know, um, just even admitting that I think is empowering because as I've talked to some younger folks, like, nobody's ever told them that, which mm-hmm. I think as we – for for those of us who are now more comfortable talking about mental health issues we mm-hmm. sometimes forget this is sort of like when you have so much money you forget it you forget what it is to budget or you know like you forget about the earlier parts of that journey for you to get to where you yeah. are yeah that you know you're like why why can't you just book an appointment and it's like mm-hmm. do you know how frightening it is for that person who's never Um, So I went to go see somebody in college that was part of my university's health system that was a psychologist. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Like, I didn't tell my friends. Obviously, I'm not going to tell my parents. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just heard of a really, really unfortunate situation where there's a woman that I recently learned of. She just graduated from college. So she is back on her parents' medical and health care plan here in the States. Mm. She cannot go seek help because then they would know about it yeah. and they would start to ask why. And because yeah. she is living under their roof, it's creating this really difficult situation where, um, and of course, they controlled the money, right? So even if she sought help that was, you know, I don't know, off the record, Affordable. off the books cash payment, yeah. you'd still have to justify where. And, and so, yeah,
1: especially now,
0: given. Yeah, given especially all that's going on, yeah. Um, what what are some messages you want to share with anybody who, who's going through some tough troubles or tough times? Um, from where you sit, from having been in you know the industry and in in, in the systems that you've been in, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the easier steps that people can take to uh, not really feel alone or feel like they're they're getting somewhere?
1: I mean, the first thing I would say is if you if you can and you're like in a bad place, if you can definitely access the services that you have at your disposal. Like that's the first thing. Um, and there's a lot of great companies right now that are offering really low prices for mental mm-hmm. health sessions. Uh, so if you have that ability, definitely look into it um, like a quick Google search will come up with many many things um but if you are somebody like in this girl situation um and you can't access the service because of xyz reason um the most important thing to know is do not forget that we are going through a global pandemic like nobody knows how to manage this nobody knows what's going to happen right so if you suddenly find yourself like off routine crankier like if you find yourself more tired if you find that you don't have a lot of motivation to do things these are very normal responses uh because a lot what we're experiencing as a as a whole is communal trauma we are all experiencing different types and forms of traumatic responses right like because this is, this is a traumatic incident. Everything we know about our world has changed. We don't know when it's going to go back. And we also don't know what it's going to go back to, right? Right. So sometimes it almost feels like you're living in a movie. So it's really important to know that any of the emotional responses you're having are totally normal, um, and if you can't access mental health services and you're not in a place where you are going to hurt yourself or somebody else, then really turn to the self-management tools that you have. So things like meditation, things like journaling, um, things like really engaging in self-care. These are small changes that you can make in your life that can that's, that, that are not going to solve the problem, but they're going to help mitigate the, the impact of the stress. And that's really what you want. You want to lower the impact of the stress, right? right? So eating healthy, making sure you exercise, making sure you are not isolating yourself. So reaching out to friends and community, um, engaging in creative endeavors, um, Mm. things that give you pause, things that unlock the creative side of your brain, things that really you are, moments where you are not mulling over something tangible right? So things that really your, your mind can get lost in is it's actually very therapeutic. Um, adult coloring is something that we, we have heard a lot about. People don't do yeah. a lot of it, but it actually has really, really calming um, impacts on your mood. Uh, so just doing these kind of self care behaviors, if you can't access services will help the the impact of the stress.
0: I think you bring up a good point. Um, mm-hmm. The simple things that we used to enjoy as kids, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, we, we were just um, happily disrupted by my three and a half year old, right? Mm-hmm. Like the things that he does that bring him joy, mm-hmm. coloring, puzzles, puzzles, just
1: yeah,
0: like we think we're too cool for this stuff at, yeah. at some point, you know, and because we got this cell phone and we have unlimited access to unlimited entertainment, we always want to be uh i don't know uh what what what's the word i'm looking for just excited you know about mm-hmm. something and engaged and entertained yeah and sometimes just you know short of sitting at paint dry on a wall yeah. like how hard is it for so many of us just to physically slow down and yeah. read for an hour uninterrupted nearly impossible impossible
1: yeah you can't even be in an elevator without pulling your phone out right, right.
0: like i i agree. look I, i'm the guy that has a podcast right like people are listening to this as they're doing something else right research mm-hmm. says very few people actually actively listen to podcasts you're mm-hmm. either cooking or getting ready or driving or walking or extra yeah. something
1: yeah
0: but i think that perpetual that never-ending feeling of not doing enough because we're you know, the world expects magic out mm-hmm. of us every day. Mm-hmm. I think part of that anxiety is just from not giving ourselves enough grace to say you're doing enough, like chill out and just mm. back away from it. And I think it, in a weird, weird way, I think because things are not, our friends are not visible to us physically. We sometimes overcompensate by our digital presence, especially yeah. nowadays of, yeah um you know you're not posting about this stuff enough it's important whatever you feel yeah and and, and so you know i it's odd i i went through a bit of a stretch where just like you know you're watching the news you're like what happened you know what's happening now and so like the world it's hard and watching nothing is bad watching everything is bad but where you how how, gray, how dark on the gray scale of like engagement you want to be.
1: Yeah
0: um, talk to us a little bit about the last couple of weeks and how a lot of our community members um, are feeling um, I think for the first time
1: yeah
0: and, and it, it's unfortunate that we have to say it for the first time but it, at least in our lifetimes, it's the first time that in a, even in a very short amount of two weeks or so that we've gotten this fired up about a cause. Where, um, I mean, I'm part of a movement where we're translating letters for Black Lives into languages and putting it out into the universe. Like we've mm-hmm. never done that collectively yeah. as a people to say this stuff matters. Let's go talk about it. I don't know how to talk to my parents. Hold on, let me go get some people to translate stuff for you. Yeah, um, I'm recording re- letters of you know the readings of the letter, and people are doing all sorts of things, right? And. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when I talked to some friends and I felt this myself too, like coupled things that come to mind, guilt mm-hmm. for not having realized it sooner, mm-hmm. um, hopelessness that whatever we do won't change things, yeah. fear, the the real, more real fear of our friends because you hear stories that you've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'll couple that with this unknown or invisible pressure to want to deprioritize ourselves because, in the grand scheme of things, the issue at hand is being misinterpreted as the only important thing in the world where it is should be seen as it's the most important thing for now, but it's not the only meaning mm-hmm. while we go march, while we go protest, while we fight, we still have to take care of ourselves, but it. It's, it's hard to draw that binary again. It's back to the gray. It seems yeah. very binary now. It's like you're either in the fight or you're not doing anything at all. Yeah. Um, what What are some tips and some perspectives that you can share specifically around this, where it seems urgent? It's not urgent. It's going to be a marathon to fight this crap. But yeah. Um, how How do we? What What are you telling your friends? What are you telling your your, your folks um, sure. about this?
1: Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, just to directly respond to the last thing that you were talking about. The most important thing is, that, you know, this idea that the fight is binary, like whether you're in it or you're not in it, right? It's to reframe that taking care of yourself is part of the fight. Because what the oppressors want, and the oppressors right now are, you know, the society, the way the society structured against Black people, right? But like, I use oppressors in any way, like if, if whatever you're fighting, whatever your cause is. That's what the oppressors want. They want you to burn out, right? It is in their benefit that you burn out because that means you're not going to run the marathon. You're going to sprint for 5K and then now they have a 20K lead, right? Mm -hmm. So when you reframe it and think about how resting, recharging, healing, grieving are part of the fight, not outside of it. And anytime you engage in these healing behaviors – you are still part of the cause because you're furthering it because you are right. refilling your gas tank, right? That's what you're doing, and so start to reframe taking care of yourself in that way. And when you when you think about taking care of yourself in activism and social activism specifically, um, it is a communal act. It's not an individual right. act. So when we think about self care, you think about like facials and manicures, right? That's the predominant, <laughs> right. capitalistic like way of describing self-care but that's really not the roots of self-care. Self-care became capitalized and became facials, right? But self-care before that is essentially at the base level making sure that you are okay so that you can function, right? And that means your physical health, that means your nutrition, your sleep, your finances, all of those things. In this scenario, it means making sure that you are not burning out because In specifically in social activism, if you don't stop to take a break, burnout looks like compassion fatigue. And compassion fatigue is the state a lot of caregivers get to where they are unable to empathize with the people they're supposed to care about. So you see it in doctors, nurses, you see it in old age care, social workers, and you see it in social activism. So you don't want to get to a place of burnout, you don't want to get to a place of compassion fatigue. So you have to make sure that as you have these difficult conversations with your family about anti-blackness in Asian communities, right. um, as you have, as you realize that people in your family who you love have these deeply problematic views, that, that hurts, right, that has a lot of pain. When you learn about what happened with George Floyd and so many other people, you see videos, you're in the marches, That has a psychological impact on you. That has a weight. When you realize yourself that there are parts of you that enabled this, that there are parts of you that you don't even realize were part of the problem, and now you're reckoning with yourself as an Asian person, Right. right? that has a huge psychological cost. So The last thing you want to do is become so overwhelmed that you shut down and you step out of the ring. You don't want to do that. Right. So you you have to maintain emotionally healthy in order to fight the fight. And so that's what I would say to everybody who's listening is don't feel guilt about taking care of yourself. Don't feel guilty to turn off notifications once in a while. Right. Um, I would really recommend everyone who is just blazing through right now to make sure that you have time at least once a week where you are not doing any activism work. So you're not thinking about it, you're not reading about it, you're not engaging in conversation about it, you're not watching a video, you're not listening to a podcast. Maybe you're adult coloring, maybe you are taking a nap. You know, you have to turn, you have to hit pause. And then when you come back, you come back more productive. Um, So that's kind of what it is right now, you know. Um, And I think for uh, Asian people right now, the conversation for the first time has become in this generation, right? Has become about how do you participate in the problem? Up until now, it was like, this is not our fight. This is not our problem. Yeah, we're kind of minorities, but like there's a hierarchy and we're the model minority, so we're fine. And then you have like Asian dudes dropping the N word all the time, right? Like brown guys love that. And so now this is the first time they are at a community level being called out for it. And so now they have to think about it, right? Uh, so it's a different, it feels different. It feels different this time. And I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that we've been at home for three months. and oh, we have nothing else to distract us sure. away from this important cause. I'm not belittling it. I'm just saying that, oh, you know, it was again. a perfect ingredients for this movement sure. to just kind of ignite itself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the, you, you know, you, you mentioned the the perceived hierarchy of uh, mm. minorities and, you know, the, the, even the term "auto minority was, was all part of um, the, the oppressor's plan to pit yeah. against each other and say, hey, if, if these, you know, um, Asian folks can get to the right schools and have the right jobs, why can't you? It must be you. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And that plays right into the culture of our parents. Right, study hard it's it's the achievement myth it's the Mm -hmm. the merit-based fallacy that unfortunately so many people in our community still believe especially the people who've benefited from that system like yeah you know i went to x school i do this why can't you yeah and they almost belittle because and and this is literally the conversation about privilege right like Mm -hmm. we're not saying that you should give it all up But you should also recognize that that's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Just like when you say, you know, um, you know, it's not, you know, it's I I think people are just get defensive when you're like, wait a minute, I studied hard. I'm not taking that away from you.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: I went to the I went to the quote unquote right schools that went through the right train. Nobody's taking that away from you. Yeah. But recognize that what you went through is not what the majority of people have access to. Yeah. And that you can't. Say, well, I did it so you can too, because that's survival's survivorship bias, right? You yeah. know, we, we get so many of these. Um, you know, I, it, it's funny, just the other day I saw uh, somebody made a YouTube video on like, you know, um, how I got a job at X company, and mm. you know, she's and I was like, you have no idea why you got a job at that company, you yeah. think you do, but yeah, were you in that room? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. did you know your peer set? Nope. So, th- so then, you know, we, we, become this, we become victim to this. I did it because I worked hard, which again, that, that person that made that video, good for you. You know, you, you got the dream job at your company, but then, you know, you can't then turn around and say like, you know, I, how I got in or like how did I got into this school or that school? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you, you I want to go back to a point you just made earlier about, um, pausing and, and pacing yourself and and, mm-hmm. and that's a, a big theme um, mm-hmm. on your Instagram page at well guy yeah. where you talk about setting boundaries right and it's yeah um, and I think obviously boundaries is a different way to say expectation setting and yes. I think when you're in a working relationship with your boss or whatever expectation setting is almost a, a must right mm-hmm. here you know here's things that are important to me um, and especially when you're in a relationship, whether it's family or in a romantic relationship, you have that conversation of like boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We never really have the boundary conversation with ourselves. Yeah. And even when you do, you're like, you know, one side of the brain saying let's, you know, like it's it's hard, but you have to, right? And what what are, and I I think everybody agrees that we have to, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and we have to, uh, commit ourselves also to sticking to them mm-hmm. at all costs. Mm-hmm. What are some th- practical tips that you can share with us where we can be better about boundary setting? Because if the only person keeping you accountable to your boundaries that you set for yourself is you, mm-hmm. that is also a recipe for, you know, Not if
1: being you're drinking successful. at home by
0: yourself, right? Yeah. If you're drinking at home by yourself and you're like, I'm going to have one drink today. Yeah. no nobody's looking nobody so you know it's hard it's easy to cheat but also let's get let's also counterbalance that with don't make yourself boundaries and rules that are so toxic to you and that you hurt yourself more by sticking Mm -hmm. to them so it's both and none at the same time what i'm asking you right like you should set your boundaries but like how do you what, what do you what do you share with people on that note
1: yeah uh so i'll say healthy boundaries are flexible and they evolve so if you have a boundary that does not have flexibility and it doesn't evolve with time, that is not a healthy boundary. So boundaries by definition, uh, at least in mental health, are changing, flexible, and, you know, they evolve with you. So the boundaries that you had as a 19-year-old are not going to be the same you have as a 30-year-old, right? When it comes to boundaries for yourself, you you said it, right? Like there's no accountability, so it's easier to just kind of, I'll do it tomorrow one more glass, one more episode, right? So one of the things that you can build in is an accountability partner, right? Mm-hmm. So, but even before we get to that, when you set boundaries with yourself, the first thing is to kind of like completely outline what the boundary is. You can't say, oh, I just want to, I don't know, like watch less TV. Mm-hmm. That's not a boundary. That's just like a desire that you have, right? So you, you have to quantify that boundary to yourself, so I'll just use my example. Um, the news was totally freaking me out three months ago. It still kind of does. Um, so I realized I was compulsively checking the news and it was making me feel bad, right? And every time I checked my phone, I could feel it. I could feel it in my body. So your body will tell you what you need when, you, when it comes to setting boundaries. Just, so you will start to feel emotions in your body when you need to set a boundary. Recognizing what the boundary is, I need to stop reading the news. Right. What does that mean? That means, okay, I'm going to turn off my notifications. So you write that down to yourself. You're, you're setting like a Mm. manifesto. I'm going to check the news twice a day. You write that down, you quantify that. And And so you need to have a very concrete vision of what you want and it cannot be an extreme one because then you're going to set yourself up to fail. So you can't be, I'm just not going to turn my TV on that's not going to happen. Right. Right. And then if you end up breaking it, you're going to become so disillusioned that you you just throw that boundary out the window. So a realistic measurable uh, boundary is important. And then you have an accountability partner who can kind of hold you accountable. So it has to be someone who you're close enough with to have these conversations. Um, But also where if it, you know, you're also able to kind of be open with each other. So it can't be somebody yeah. you're not comfortable with. Sure. Um, and then you just check in with yourself every three weeks, every four weeks about where you stand, right? Like for the first two months of this, I literally did not even read the news. Like that was my boundary. I was a completely ill-informed individual when it came to COVID because sure. I just could not tolerate it. And I knew that, right? I mean, people were dying in scores in April. I just couldn't handle it because there was nothing more to learn. Right. But I checked in with myself after month two and I was like, okay, like where do you stand now? Do you think you can change? So now I will read the news, but notifications are still off and I don't watch it. Right. So you have to kind of check in with yourself. Um, and when it comes to self care things, I think like having some kind of structure is helpful. Right. Um, sorry, I meant like when it comes to social activism things, structure is helpful. So just know that, okay, Sunday mornings, I'm not going to do any readings about the cause Yeah, Sunday. And that's your day, right? You are not accessible to other people. You're not reading, you're not watching, you're not right. listening. Um, and then just having someone who can help you with that. You, you know, our community is our biggest resource. Um, so yeah, uh, I would, that's what I would say about setting boundaries and, but, you know, setting boundaries with others is also a part of setting boundaries with yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: So people who suck the energy out of you, people who are, you know, stressing you out, it's important to have boundary discussions, yeah. even if it's your family, even if it's your partner. It's, and <laughs> you know, bar, boundaries are, are, they just have bad PR. They're, they're a part of right. every healthy relationship, but we've just kind of sure. mangled them. And we think that if you yeah. need boundaries, it's bad.
0: I I think one way that I've begun to look at it is it's not to keep things out. It's to keep yourself in, right? It's to keep Mm -hmm. yourself sane. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, obviously talking about walls and, you know, moats and Mm
1: -hmm. whatever
0: is fun, fun topic of of this political cycle. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you're doing it as much as to protect your own yourself and and to keep yourself, you know, whole um, as as it is saying no to people, right? Yeah. Um, Saying no to somebody is partially saying yes to yourself, and prioritizing yeah. yourself you yeah. say I deserve the time and I want to read I mean look I have and we all have now list of books that we want to read on new topics that we want to yeah. be more informed about yeah. documentaries and movies and lists of podcasts and they seem mm-hmm. to be everybody seems to be aggregating a list of new allyship resources and yeah. it's like and if you don't read these you're a crappy ally like no like that's okay but also you don't if all you do is watch the news and keep replying to people on Twitter, when are you going to read? When yeah. are you going to process? Yeah. When are you going to sit? And yeah, I, I think what we used to have collectively as like commute time and downtime and just yeah passive processing and reading and listening time are gone. Yeah. And we always feel this need to be, you know, endlessly on. busy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, people
1: mistake productivity for busyness. Those are so not the same that, yeah. thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, if you think about it, like when was the last time you were just daydreaming?
0: It's, it's impossible. I mean, try Right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah. so
1: that's a practice that I've built here. So I'm by myself in this like quarantine situation. Um, and something I developed over time and it was accidental is just listening to music like not listening and scrolling on my phone, not listening and watching something or washing dishes, literally just sitting on the couch, have like the Sonos playing it's and nothing else. But it has been so transformative. It's hard, but just having like those few moments of just listening yeah. to it, like something really nice and not doing anything outside of that, right? <laughs> like like not reading, not washing dishes, not working out, not scrolling Instagram. I think one of the healthiest boundaries we can make right now is with our social media. It is the hardest yeah, I, one,
0: it but is. it is,
1: it is very, very, it's very helpful to have that.
0: It yeah. It is. Um, I, I think we rely on it. I, I often wonder what COVID would have looked like without the technology. Um, <sighs> in, in, in some ways
1: yeah.
0: better. Right. Um, like, if offices were closed and you can't work twenty hours a day from home, then that might have been easier on the mental health. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but more difficult from not feeling connected and yeah, you can't call twenty friends a day, right? Like yeah. that would have been hard. Um, so you know, quarantine isn't true quarantine or isolation when you're digitally connected. And, yeah. Um, you know, we went from no webinars in our life to fifty webinars in a week, and everybody got zoomed out like yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so, um, and that's only in like the last hundred days. In the grand scheme of things, that's a blip on the radar, not even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and so how we move from here, um, you know, uh, for, for those vote eligible, please register to vote. We now have 147 days until we can kick people out of office that we wow. hate. Um, yeah. So, or whenever we're listening to this, that number is going to be smaller um so you know this, this is this is a long haul journey this is mm-hmm. a long process journey
1: mm-hmm. i
0: think we have to sometimes i think about it, especially now um we and this goes back to the full circle of honor and respect and all that within our culture of mm-hmm. you've known somebody for a long time therefore they deserve to be your friend
1: they are yeah. somehow
0: related to you so they deserve to be in your life yeah. and and i think those are really toxic things um yeah. i think for all the good things that we've talked about with social media, sort of connecting us. One of the the dark sides that we don't really address is it's kept people lingering in our lives that we would never call Mm -hmm. if we didn't have social media to connect us with. Yeah. And if they not only disagree with you, but fight you on things like Mm -hmm. it's okay to cut them out of your life. Like, um, just because you went to kindergarten with them or like just because you're this whatever justification that we've used in our lives or we've been told to use in our lives to maintain some of these crappy relationships with crappy people like
1: yeah
0: think about do you want that person in your life 20 years from now and if the answer is probably not then also consider probably not talking to them 20 minutes from now like it's yeah
1: I mean, it's such a a a timely thing. Yeah, I I think it's such a timely thing because a lot of people are reevaluating a lot of their relationships right now. My goodness, absolutely. It is bringing people to that place. And the way I see it, anything that does not serve you does not need to be in your life. So you don't need to Mm -hmm. follow that account. You don't need to respond to that comment, like unfollow, block, whatever you do.
0: And there's no shame in it. There's no shame. You're not being a coward by blocking somebody, right? Yeah. Again, this is setting a boundary. You're. you know, because there are people that are out to incite you. Right. So, um, and, and why, why entertain them? This is, you have a goal in life. You have a mission in life as do I. And if it's not moving that needle forward or at the very, very, very worst, keeping it status quo, if you're trying to detract from it, like I, I don't, what is, you know, yeah, no what's, what's the upside of keeping you here, right? And mm-hmm. it's, but again, it's 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 not as easy as we make it to be, right? So, yeah. um, there, there are people who've been helpful in our lives in the past, or yeah. you know, are, are connected through our parents or some other thing that, God, I really, you know, I can't block that person. So I I get it. It's it's not as easy yeah. as like you know, spending a few hours going through your friend list and just blocking people. Yeah. But you got to live your own life for yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah. You know. And, and so who do you want to ride that journey with? And, mm-hmm. you know, you sit in an audience of one and you let people onto the stage to talk at you.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so you get to choose your own programming. And that's sort of the beauty with social media. Um, you get to curate your own programming. So if you don't like what you're seeing, you can change the channel. And yeah. if you don't like a channel, you can get rid of it. Um, yeah. And, Right now, especially in the last two weeks, uh, for better or worse, people are exposing their true selves. Yeah. And, you know, um, certain brands that we used to spend money as like, hell no, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's not, again, it's not to be like, feel guilty and shame for having ever spent money there in the first place. But it's cool mm-hmm. going forward. I won't be sad if you go out of business because you're yeah. not good people. And I think that's, Okay. I think
1: well, I think that's some really important thing to remember with personal relationships and like where you shop and all of those things is you have to allow yourself to be beginners at something. You know, you have to yeah. allow yourself to make mistakes and you have to allow yourself a journey. Like nobody is a complete product, right? I'm learning so many things about so many people, places, things like that, you know, like products, companies. Yeah. And so going forward, am I going to change? That's really what you want to focus on. Not, did I do this before? So, you know, you are getting these conversations online right now. Is like, well, why is this? Why are you posting this right now? I've had some friends who posted about, like, the protests, Black Lives Matter, and other friends sent them messages, like, privately saying, oh, I never saw you talking about this before. Like, why are you doing it right now? Like, very confrontational, very shaming that, oh, you're just doing this. But the thing is, like, you have to let people grow. Yes. How else are we going to change? Even as, like, yeah. if we just bring it back to Asian community and mental health, you can't shame somebody for being stigmatizing before if they're wanting yeah. to change right now. That's Focus true. on that and move that forward. Don't Absolutely. don't worry about what they were before, what they said in Hope high her. school. Yeah. You know, uh, let, let people be draft versions and let them we, grow
0: we've all evolved right i yeah. i'm not the same person as i was even a year ago yeah and yeah. i don't know who i'm gonna be a year from now
1: yeah um yeah
0: you know this always brings me back to like that one asshole who always if, if your team if their team is doing well and you know their fan base grows they're like i was here since 92 and uh, you're just a band i'm like who yeah. gives a shit right yeah like, you have we're here people. now right why don't yeah. we just like you're a, and and so like what you were like you have a membership card that says you cared about other people like like yeah. you know have grace right and it's particularly with this when the whole movement is about seeing other people for who they are and and caring for Black lives the way we should mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. you don't get a reward or a sticker on the wall or an extra yeah. you know stamp on the wall for aren't we glad that more people care today and that we may have saved at least one life going forward yeah versus. Again, I get it. We should have done more in the past. I'll own up to it. We're all complicit to a degree, but better 2020 than 2025.
1: Yeah, better better
0: people waking the f up now and having a better chance of kicking him out of office in November. Yeah, than people getting complacent, getting angry at the coronavirus, all hell breaking loose, and then who knows, right? So um, people are getting more aware and learning. And training themselves to keep elected officials and police and other people more accountable, mm-hmm. which is good in the long stretch of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, black people being treated differently in this country is not a 2020 problem. It's a 500-year-old problem. So
1: yeah.
0: we as an entire country have let it exist for half a millennium. That's mm-hmm. insane.
1: Yeah,
0: It's crazy to think about it. But
1: yeah,
0: that's true. should we not be excited because we cannot change the past that... We do whatever we can today, mm-hmm. um, knowing that it's a long battle. If it took 500 years for it to exist, it's not going to be over in 500 minutes, days. days. Yeah, it, it's gonna it's yeah. gonna take some time. So, so you um, need
1: all the people you can get, right? Like even if they're newbies, it, yeah. if they're bandwagoners, if they're like whatever, you just need and everybody. Can contribute in
0: different ways, right? Yes. not everybody can you know not everybody can go march on a Wednesday at noon not everybody that should is to a really, yeah,
1: no. That's a really important point that I think should really be highlighted everywhere because you know activism then becomes like activism olympics it's like well I'm doing this and you're not doing that so you're not good enough and
0: we can uh, so show I it on think, instagram and so yeah.
1: Yeah so I think that's a really important part point that I would want the listeners to really remember that Activism is many, many things, right? On the forefront, it is social change, political movement, protesting, right? But it's more than that. Even having a conversation with your parents is activism if they're on the other end, right? If they're on the other side of the argument, even learning about your own biases, learning about American history, you know, that is activism itself because you are now educating yourself. So now we have one more educated person in the cause. Right, arguing with your friends, debating discourse, right, supporting people in providing them with water bottles when they're out of jail, like all of those things are activism.
0: Whatever it is, yeah,
1: right. Move uh, yeah. The in, because the thing is, the problem exists on every front, so the solution needs to exist on every front. Yes. Right. Uh, In our homes, in our communities, in politics, on the streets, with the police, in our schools. The problem is everywhere. So we have to have people who are part of the cause everywhere. Um, So I think that's
0: a a fantastic point. And and one last note I I think for too long, Mm -hmm. um, our parents, our aunties, and everybody else, I think with good intention, has preached that with enough education, Mm -hmm. with the right degree, with the right job, with the right job title, the address, Mm -hmm. whatever, that we would somehow make ourselves immune to any of this and wake the hell up. It's not.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's,
0: yeah, it's not.
1: Yeah. As a Muslim person, um, I know that I have definitely heard comments even to this day, like in 2020, um, by educated people, right, who went to very established, esteemed Ivy League schools who have made very, very disparaging comments about people from the Muslim background masquerading it as like fact, like social science right evolution um about you know and and so it doesn't like really protect you from being racist and it also doesn't protect you from experiencing racism your education where you went to school
0: sorry you've been you've benefited from the system to a degree yeah and and, you know for for those people right like and it's yeah I'm I'm not I I don't wish racism on anybody but if you don't admit to it yeah then i don't know you know and, and if problem. correct and and if you yeah. don't again this is uh if if you believe that you are where you are yeah. purely out of meritocracy i i wish you would take a rewind button back to your career and think about the moments where mm-hmm. somebody helped you
1: mm-hmm. that
0: you got a break mm-hmm. um because un- unfortunately the world is not a meritocracy academics isn't even meritocracy look at the lack of diversity at the leadership levels of tenure professors and school yeah. deans and administrators and let's yeah. not even get started on boardrooms and blah 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 right yeah. like it's yeah. it's not if we was a meritocracy it would reflect the population it would reflect yeah. their customer base um and, and so again if you got to where you are and if you have a fancy job title, if you have a lot of money in the bank, good for you, but then what are you going to do about it now? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not asking you to return degrees. We're not asking you to return money, but use the platforms, use your privilege, use whatever uh, medium you have. Cause Mm -hmm. like you said, the fight has to start everywhere. And it's, if you have the privilege of having a platform and a voice and access to people who make rules, Use it. Use it. Um, yeah. And and don't just vote for things that enrich you personally, which a lot of people have. <sighs> yeah. and that's okay. Um, but yeah, it's th- this has been a really, really enlightening conversation. Um, and I think a very timely one. Um and, and I do want to wrap up the conversation in the same way that we wrap up all of our conversations, which mm-hmm. we, we go back to the name of the show, which is The Eurasian Americans. It yeah. is a letter to us from us uh but beyond that it's really for us Mm -hmm. the things that you and i wish we had heard growing up and some things that we didn't even know we could talk about and mental health is probably on those lists of things that wait that's a thing um we didn't even know that was a thing until probably much later in our lives and and then for so many of our listeners it's probably something that they're so afraid to talk to their parents Mm -hmm. about their friends about um Mm -hmm. and then so if you would. I I will start the letter and if you could help us finish out the show by sharing with the the greater Asian American community something that you want to share with us. So dear Asian Americans.
1: Dear Asian Americans. I wish that we can all stop feeling shame about needing help and stop feeling shame about asking for help and stop honestly feeling shame about helping other people when they ask you. And this is, and I say this in the realm of mental health, Uh, you know, I really want all of us to move away from this honor, shame dichotomy around Mm -hmm. mental illness. And I want us to move to a place of like community and openness and allow people the space to heal and grow.
0: that is beautiful and i think it's such a timely discussion i think we're so confused we're we're living in the both era where you can be confused and enlightened at the yeah. same exact time yeah and you can be grateful for the things that your parents done for you but also angry that they didn't let us talk about this stuff mm-hmm. or you know the things that we were also taught to view as disparate binary things Mm -hmm. can actually coexist where the sum of the parts can exceed a hundred. And there's an overlapping part where life gets really interesting and beautiful because that's where the tough challenges and tough conversations happen for us to move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not even halfway through 2020 and it's been probably at least in our lifetimes, the most impactful and most important year Yeah. In terms of what it can mean for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, and it's much, much thanks to people like you who through your day job and your academics, but also through your platform like Well Guide to encourage these conversations to continue to talk about it because and I love Instagram for stuff like this. Yeah. More people consume than ever will like your post.
1: Yeah.
0: More people will consume and it will change your lives. Than they will ever come and say thank you, and that's yeah. literally what we're trying to do. Yeah, people. I know people listen to this because people have written to me and have shared this with me that this these conversations are extremely therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And if it's therapeutic for one, then we know that it's helpful for others. Yeah, and and so for me and for you and for those out there, and if you're somebody out there who wants to start sharing about your experience, please do. Yeah, because I don't know who but somebody's life will have changed because of you yeah. and the actions that you took and this is not to put isra or me on a pedestal and say look how awesome we are mm-hmm. we're only here because somebody else inspired us yeah and and so it's a chain effect it is a ripple effect of us i don't genuinely believe that i'm going to be changing more people as much as somebody who else is going to hear what I'm saying, then go build the biggest media company in the universe. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it doesn't stop with me. It doesn't stop with you. It doesn't stop with any particular person. Yeah. And and for, for, for as much as we think we are uh, having the wokest year of our lives, we're going to come across some stuff in five, ten years and be like, what the hell? What took us so long, right? Yeah, it's probably yeah. something that is, we're not, it's not top of mind today. So yeah. um, it's a never ending journey, but that's what makes humanity beautiful. We just mm-hmm. continue to try to improve on the year before and um, just try to treat each other with kindness and humanity and let people feel that it's okay to feel the way they do mm-hmm. um, and that they can exist. And, and again, m- much thanks to you and and the countless of the growing number of people who talk about mental health, to encourage the discussions and to Mm -hmm. make people feel human. Um, Thank you so much for what you do. And I hope there are more of you and specifically people that look like each of us, because Mm -hmm. as we started the conversation with, Mm -hmm. if they don't look like you, they're not really going to understand, not Mm -hmm. even looking like, but just you need to have the same weird experience of us being immigrants multi, you know, many times over. Yeah. And to understand what that means yeah. um, for, for us to understand and, and realize too, guys, if you're listening and our children, that's going to be the big puzzle, right? They, yeah. they're, they're going to grow up in America that looks very different from today, yeah. but they're still going to get treated differently because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And and so we can no longer say after all we've learned through the last few, few months, few years, whatever, yeah. to say, they're born in America and they're going to be treated the same. No. But even without the immigrant experience, the, the biggest challenge for me, and think about this every day, is how do I raise my two Korean kids in America who mm. don't even know Korea? Like yeah. that's, they're going to say, I'm American dad. And, yeah. and how do you how do you teach that? Yeah. And, and so much more fun conversations to be had. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: that's a whole different can of worms. That, that is an
0: absolute <laughs> can of worms. Uh, thank you so much for what you do. Um, if you're listening out there, check out Instagram, well.guide, um, a lot of great resources, um, connect with Isra. And it's one thing is just whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you want to talk about, it's okay. Yeah. And that you are not alone. Yeah. And people are here to help you because we love you. We care for you. And whatever it is that you're going through matters to us. So, uh, it's right. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, your work is not done. It is never done. Mm-hmm. So, um, New York's opening up, which is frightening yeah. as hell. Yeah. Um, LA too. I think we just sort of all collectively said F it. Let's just, you know, mm-hmm. pretend like it never happened. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as, as you, Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Uh, And you know, I will say that to anyone who's listening, I just echo your sentiments um, that you know you are definitely not alone in what you're experiencing. So find people, find community, um, and as the world slowly reopens, um, be kinder to yourself more than ever before because things are going to be difficult. And I hope everyone is safe out there uh, as as we move towards reopening. So thank you so much for having me. This was a this was a great conversation.
0: Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this conversation today. I really hope that you enjoyed this talk as much as I did having it with Isra. Um, mental health was something that so many of us uh, were not necessarily encouraged to talk about, or even uh, even allowed to talk about. So glad we're doing it now, and we're making baby steps and whatever progress we can make to encourage other people to join in on the conversation. I think we're all moving the needle forward. If you found this conversation inspirational or fun, please do share it out with a friend or or two. Um, Like and follow us wherever we are on social. We're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook and we're on LinkedIn. Just search the Asian Americans, or you can look me up just Jerry Juan um, in any of the profiles there. If you're listening to us on Apple, I ask you to please give us a rating and a review if you're enjoying the show. And as always, if you have any comments or questions for me or if you have any nominations for future guests, that person could be you, please contact me through the DM on the Instagram or just write to us at hello at dearasianamericans.com. Enjoy this weekend. Have a restful time and let's finish 2020 stronger than the way we started it. Be safe, be healthy. And I wish you well. This has been your host, Jerry Wan.